Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome back to Still Watching Succession, Vanity Fair's recap podcast about, well, I think... A lot of people's favorite show. Uh, we're here to talk about the season three finale, All the Bells Say. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Sonia Soraya. Well, you might remember that we were going to talk to Jeremy Strong this week. Um, but after a week of simply incessant discourse about a profile he did in The New Yorker, um, Jeremy canceled on us, which is sad to say because in this episode, there are so many references made to talking to Vanity Fair. Um, please call us Jeremy Strong. No, just kidding. We get it, we think. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought the profile was mostly positive, but I can understand that it would stir up strong emotions in its subject. Well, I think there was so much um, speculation about the end of that about the end of last week's episode too um yeah that everything just sort of seemed to go into perfect storm mode um which is too bad because joy is a lovely person to talk to and all of that but anyway um we're moving on without jeremy strong it's just the two of us um talking about a very explosive episode um we're recording monday morning um so we've had a chance to sleep on it and look at twitter and that's about it <laughs> yeah. Um because we're recording after the episode is aired, we do actually have an email uh sent to us at stillwatchingpod at gmail dot com pertaining to this episode. And I think it sets us up uh well to talk about everything that's happened. Um it's a short email. So Christian writes to us and says, I've been waiting for something like tonight ever since I learned the name of the only player in baseball history, I suppose, to pull off an unassisted triple play in the World Series. And then she says, the show did start with a baseball game. And that baseball player's name, Sonia, was William Wamsgans. Oh, wow! <laughs> it's an incredible um, extended Matthew McFadden uh, mythos <laughs> that I yeah. really appreciate. Um, we can go back and look at how long in, in the past uh, Jesse Armstrong and company have been setting the stage for what happens in the last scene of this episode. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, man, there's so, there's so much to talk about in this episode. I, I figured we might as well start with talking about Kendall because, um, you know, we, we left last week with him in this incredibly poignant kind of heightened moment. And then we find out early in this week's episode that um, he had to be hospitalized or at least monitored after after his little his floaty moment. Um, he's, you know, Kendall's really eager to downplay the um, the severity of that, but it raises the alarm bells of his siblings. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 st I don't know that the episode decides whether or not he's telling the truth about it being an accident or not, you know? It really leaves it up to us, yeah. Um, but then uh, the there's this intervention that ends up happening, an intervention of sorts with his siblings. And I think... Um, it's it, it's kind of it's just kind of interesting to watch Kendall sort of 
main try to maintain the armor that he has for much of the episode through this kind of intervention that Connor and Roman um and Shiv kind of hold for him, which doesn't go super well. And then he's like late to his mother's wedding because he like rushes up. But then really like the the Jeremy Strong moment of this episode is this incredible confessional that is uh behind the wedding venue in this like very sunny gravel kind of drive um and it's a uh, it's it's you know we've spent we spent so much of the last week talking about Jeremy Strong's you know methods some of them quite unconventional um in terms of like getting into his character and then watching a scene like this you're like well I don't know what he's doing but whatever he, he's very effective <laughs> whatever yeah, yeah wh- whatever <laughs> gets you to that place um I think that so much of the episode leading up to this moment um was so finely built i mean you you think about this this kind of half intervention scene which ends with connor kind of storming off and reminding them that he's the older oldest brother um is it really was that that intervention was really just the show's way but also the um the character's way of kind of testing the waters of that group dynamic again you know after being sort of scattered and fighting each other um and then to have that sort of sad in a certain way moment lead up to this genuinely sad but also bizarrely touching thing was just i thought really well earned oh yeah um and 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 with jeremy strong's you know slow burn i don't know what kind of burn it was but it was something um performance uh it all of the work of the season of making him look like a buffoon who maybe has good intention maybe doesn't and then ultimately didn't really know where he was going was just kind of flailing at anything um that all really um i think came to the fore uh in that scene yes i mean he's you know he he spent the beginning of this episode on such a like kind of self-aggrandized high note and here it's like he's been completely dismantled once more and i mean it's 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 sort of fascinating because as a succession viewer you've seen him kind of go through this cycle so many times at this point or of like building himself up or being built up and then tearing himself down or being torn down um but what feels different here is you know there's a complete 180 in terms of his ability to reach out to roman and shiv and kind of um it, i mean when he was in that position of of power or at least of sort of uh, manipulating them you know with some leverage he wasn't really able to get their uh their sympathy but now he's sitting in the gravel, you know, sobbing, and and they're here for him. Um, I wouldn't have necessarily expected them to show up for him either, um, but they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think something innate, some sort of bond is 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 at play there. But there's also strategy. You know, um, Kendall still has that modicum of power in terms of having a, a board seat now. You know, like. Like there's there's something still of value to him um, beyond them him just being uh, their brother. Um, I thought it was interesting also how in that scene it sort of forces us to not so much go back to the ep- the season one finale when this accident happened, um, but at least go back there in our memory and and kind of allow the show to sort of retcon it or change our perspective on it just in in. Um, in Roman asking simple questions like mm-hmm, so wait mm-hmm. but what happened you know and 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 then Kendall saying when I went back down you know and he's like well you're a hero then you know and and you kind of are like well is it so is it that bad actually what he did which is exactly what these people do they they wear down your morals and your sort of understanding of things to the point where you're like agreeing with terrible assessments of of the world right right uh and and at the same I mean it's interesting though because at the same time I found myself thinking like well, when Kendall first brought the story to his father, it was in his father's interest, it was in Logan's interest to make Kendall into as much of the bad guy as possible in order to, like, totally kill his spirit and and end this whole sort of attempt against his power. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see, like, uh, you know, the different family members kind of laundering the story through the lens that kind of works for them. Um and I, and I do think there's there there is uh, at least some nuance to Kendall's behavior in that moment. And then I think what actually is sort of unforgivable is is covering it up, like kind of pretending right. that this person's death didn't matter, um, which is you know was as much Logan as it was Kendall. Um, there's some really interesting energy. The I mean, God help me that I laughed when 
Roman says, you know, well, you know, if uh, I waited for a gin and tonic for 45 minutes at Shiv's wedding, so I don't know who's the real victim here. <laughs> and you see it, it's starting to work on Kendall, you know, mm-hmm. these little smiles, he's kind of like, no, no, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's such a, uh, a well calibrated scene as they kind of move beat to beat. And then um, shortly thereafter, they're Kendall's back in strategy mode, you know, still a bit seeming beaten down and weary, but, but, but having a little bit of a revitalized energy and God damn it. If in at least this show's vacuum that it, there's something poignant about that, you know, <laughs> of him scraping himself up, uh, off the full, off the, the ground and, um, regaining a bit of his stride, even if that stride often and always takes him towards bad places. Um, at some point, uh, in the intervention scene, um, Kendall refers to himself as the eldest, um, which, uh, brings me to Connor, the actual eldest, because <laughs> I, I thought that was such a funny little interplay, um, both in terms of Kendall seeing himself as the eldest, um, which, cause, cause he clearly is the oldest of those three, but he's 15, he's at least 15, I mean, 10 to 15 years younger than Connor and Connor's sitting right there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Alan, Alan Ruck goes to town on a butter knife, um, during that scene. Um, I, I just really, I really loved that energy as, as an eldest child myself, I sympathize with Connor's <laughs> feelings. Um, and, uh, I don't know if there's that much more to note about Connor in this episode, except that we go straight from that scene to Willa saying, how bad can it be? And deciding to marry him. <laughs> well, here's my question for you about Connor and I guess about that scene. Mm-hmm. When Willa says, you're a really nice guy, do you think that's true? I mean, because I, I, I go back and forth on Connor. He's obviously such an avatar of, like, American, uh, you know, oligarchic buffoonery. Mm-hmm. And yet, he we don't see him actually doing anything that bad, which I guess counts as nice on this show. Yeah, he doesn't have it in him to to be more actively bad but i will say like i think the the bar is kind of low for him to be like fine you know um i i think i think it, it's it's easy for him to sort of may uh be kind of civil because he's sort of surrounded and propped up by people who are doing terrible things um but yeah i um I think when Will is saying that in that moment, what she's sort of saying is like, you're a nice enough guy to be around. You don't yell at the help. Um, And it's like, again, I just feel like it's a very low bar, but I think he kind of clears it. I mean, somehow, even in the midst of all of these uh, indignities that he's facing, he's always so nice to his, he's, he's usually pretty nice to his siblings and to his family. He's at his stepmother's re-wedding, re-marriage. <laughs> it's such a funny thing. Such It's like a funny family man thing he's got going on. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that, even though that was kind of a charming moment for Connor and Willa, I, I, I don't think it's headed anywhere happy. I mean, yeah. no one is headed anywhere happy, I don't think. Um, uh, the look on her face when she sits in the car and, you know, the it, they zoom in on her so you really yeah. see it. And she, and she looks a little freaked out by what she's... And they cut they cut to her briefly um, at the at the wedding reception. Yeah. Um, as the kids are talking about, like, congratulating Connor, it cuts over to Willa and she's just drinking alone. Just like, <laughs> what have I done? Yeah. Uh, um, so as this, uh, as this wedding is, is going on, it looks, looks beautiful, sort of Tuscan Villa, um, has kind of a, uh, country sort of provincial feel to it. Um, everyone, everyone looks wonderful. Um, and meanwhile, um, everything in the background is, uh, Waystar Royco looking at not, now it's not even a merger with Gojo. They're looking to be acquired by Gojo, by Matson's company, um, so we get we get inklings of this at the first part of the episode, um, but by the time the wedding starts, it's like there is a operation, like a Waystar Royco, all the lawyers in a room, binders open, shouting on the phones. That's happened simultaneously with Caroline's wedding to Peter Munyon. Yeah, because th- there there is no social occasion that isn't also work in some way on this show. <laughs> and everyone- uh, for for these people. They all, and then like Caroline just kind of is like, I guess Logan's not coming. Oh well. <laughs> right. And Peter's waiting there at the entrance to the wedding hoping that his uh his wife's former husband will show up. Uh, some really weird stuff. So what, he could have him knighted on the spot? I mean, <laughs> <you know. laughs> maybe he's just also very nice. Um yeah, and I think uh 
I, I just wanted to re- reiterate that sort of dissonance because no one ever has fun. I, I, none of these people are ever having fun with their like incredible privilege. And I just thought this was another example. Um, Roman um, is is in a very interesting, kind of precarious place, right? In this in this episode, so we start, you know, the a- aftermath of the the dick pic from the end of last episode and. He's kind of still involved with the Matson stuff, but when he goes back to this Lake Como villa with um with his father, um Logan sort of relegates him to the kids' table. Um and Matson sort of is not really talking to him face to face anymore either. Like they're kind of they've got their own thing going on, and at some point Logan says you should just go. You have a wedding to go to. Um, the big boys are going to figure out what happens here. Um, and he really... Yeah, and, and Roman was the last of the kids to um, to realize that his dad wasn't going to give it to him. You know, like, all, the other three had kind of come to that realization by this point. And so Roman what needed to be have the final moment of like, oh, wait, right, like, dad doesn't actually have our backs on these things. Yeah, it's. It, I, I mean, I I felt for him, and he he spends a lot of the episode kind of trying to convince himself that he knows more about what's happening when he does. Um, but everything sort of seems to pivot. I, I I do think, like soft-heartedly, I do think that there is a pivot that happens when Roman hears this confession from Kendall, who is in such a dark place. But I really think what does it is the maca root sperm conspiracy. <laughs> Um, where Connor comes up to, Connor comes up to Roman and Shiv during the wedding reception and says, oh, look at the maca root that Carrie has been putting into Logan's smoothies. She must be trying to up his sperm count. (laughs) Right. Um, I really love, I mean, I really loved this detail. I, um, I, I had noticed, I was like, oh, she's really giving him a lot of smoothies in this episode. Um, and once that possibility of like, they're, uh, Logan's trying to have another baby, he's trying to have another baby with this assistant who isn't a huge fan of these kids anyway. And there could be not just like a threat to their standing in the company, but also a threat to their standing in the family that they might have to deal with other competing siblings. Um, I think, I, th- I think that that is a-, a kick in the pants for, for, I mean, for both Roman and Shiv, but I think Roman too, for the rest of this episode, we see him standing up to Logan in his way and in his very, at times, like, heartbreakingly vulnerable way, um, but more than we ever have seen him before. Yeah, and I, I think back to the the thing that Caroline says uh, in the previous episode about, um, you know, Logan always, like, kicking things that he loves to see if they'll come back, you know? And he's done that with his kids, you know, one by one, and they kept coming back, and now most of them are sort of done with him, and Roman is the last piece of the puzzle, and by the end of the episode, even Roman has, um, you know, kind of shaken off the shackles of l- l- lackeydom, um, at least in regards to his father. Um, and so, of course, he's trying to make a new dog to kick and see if it'll come back to him. You know, this is just how these things work. I don't think that Logan is under the, any um, delusions about, like, that he's going to g- see this kid grow up to be an adult that he can hand the company to, age-wise, health-wise, that probably won't happen, but at least the knowledge of like, I'm going to get it right this time, or I at least I'll have a new thing to kind of manipulate. Um, and the kids know that. And so in, in, in some ways it's a really deeply depressing realization for Roman, not just so oh, I won't be the baby of the family anymore, but like, he's just going to do this again mm-hmm. and um, kind of then blame me for uh, being as fucked up as I am, even though it's pretty much, you know, uh, Logan and Caroline's fault. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I found myself sort of curious, um, you know, there's the way in which this episode is kind of structured, um, you know, Logan's there for a lot of it, but you don't get that much insight into what he's thinking, but it does sort of feel like his, his only real thought is just like, I tire of my children. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, at the, um, at the beginning of the episode, he's, he's reading, uh, something to Iverson, uh, and it's a book called Goodbye Mog, um, which is the last in a book series by Judith Kerr um, that was about the playful uh, household cat. Um, and Goodbye Mog is about the death of that cat. 
And so while this kid's father is in the hospital for a potential suicide attempt, Logan is reading him a book that suggests that, like, well, here's how to deal with grief, son. Like, kind of already burying Kendall, you oh, know. My God. And and best being like, I'm done with him. I am. I am. I, he is dead to me. That kind of thing. And and I don't know if that's exactly what this. Maybe it's just supposed to be a little joke. Like, why is he reading this depressing book to this kid at this moment? Uh, or why does the kid want that book read to him? Um, but isn't yeah, Iverson I think it has a like, resonance. Because Iverson seems like 12 years old, and this is like yeah. a picture book. Like, there's some really. It's a very. It's a very deliberate choice. <laughs> whatever is yeah. happening. Yeah. And I, I guess I should. I mean, I don't think Logan was being that pointed because he's like, "This is too young for you. Get me something else. Get me a different book." And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh, my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. But there's something about the... um about Logan in that nurturing paternal role, however, like sort of unwillingly, that really uh, is such a counterpoint to everything else that happens with him and his children. Um, and I, I think like there's something a little bit relatable too about his frustrations with his children. Like even though we we do not agree with the you know the decisions that he makes about parenting and stuff. Um, there's, I I can see why he's kind of also like, you know, I'm not, whatever I'm doing is not really working. And maybe it's time to just, um, to just try a different approach to my kids, to my company. Yeah, it, it's interesting watching him talk to Matson and, and, and everything that happens after that, where you know he he's this charging bull logan roy he always wins all this stuff and 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 to watch the kids not realize that logan has a pretty it turns out malleable view of what winning looks like for him you know yeah it's the best deal in the moment and in this moment like the the the, the big planned like merger where the roys still control things that wasn't going to happen and so logan has to kind of re-strategize and as he says i always win you know yeah um and I think when he calls the kids morons for not seeing that, and you know, he, he was, he said, I, you know, I was looking out for your future. I'm sure that there were plenty of, they, the kids were not going to be poor from this sale. Um, but what he was just saying, like, go make your own pile. Like, like, come on, like, this is an opportunity for you to not just kind of rely on this thing that you didn't build. Um, so I, you know, you, I kind of hear him and I, I get, I get what he means because they have been morons this whole season. Uh, in various ways, and um, they are so eager to run each other over and to toss each other to the wolves to get control of something that they don't have any real responsibility for. Um, and I, yeah, he Logan seems to have reached a breaking point because they can't see uh, that. Um, well, that they aren't actually looking at they they aren't looking out for what's best for the company, as Jerry kind of suggests to Roman, like they're looking out for themselves, which is not the same thing. And well, in, unless you're Logan. You know, I, I I sort of feel that, and, and I think this is deliberate. I think 
the ages sort of work out to Logan kind of being like the voice of the boomer and the the uh Shiv and, and and Roman and Kendall are kind of the millennials and Connor's kind of the Gen X person. And and I think there's there's a, something that is a little bit I think it's useful because you can sort of see why perhaps these generations have the narratives they do. Like you can see why the the kids are like you you gave us a really shitty life to inherit. Like I don't know what you thought was going to happen to us when you did all this messed up stuff, but we're we're wounded as a result and we're now we're just trying to like make our way in the world using, you know, what you've provided for us. And Boomer Guy is sort of like, well, I earned all of this stuff. Like, you, my life was hard, too. But now, you know, I made the best of it. And now I, I don't see why you guys can't do that, too. Um, and Connor just really wants someone to acknowledge he exists, which I feel like is very, <laughs> very much the generational narrative there. Yes. And, and Logan has that sort of moment of poetic reverie when talking to Matson about when he first came to America and... There were these gentle giants, I think, glowing with something of smelling of gold and milk or something. And but now it's just they're too fat or they're emaciated from yoga or yoga, (laughs) you know, and 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 but that is a very boomery sort of thing of but like, well, you know, in my day, like this place had promise and then they just ruined it for themselves, bearing no responsibility of what their generation helped to do, you know, like. Like the, the, these things, these these modern ills didn't just pop up out of nowhere. They were in reaction to something, and they were caused by things. And um, people of a sort of Logany mindset uh, refuse to acknowledge that. It, it yeah, I, I the it all sort of it, it's it's a perfect storm. I mean, and then I think moving into the sort of the final scene of the show, and I mean the final se- the scene of the season, and uh, the very at this point I feel like very complex interplay between Shiv and Greg and Tom. Um, I think is like these different kind of representing like different takes and trying to make it in in Logan's world, right? Um, I felt really, uh, man, I don't know. What, did you see this coming with Tom? I guess we should just start with the big reveal. Uh no, but we should have. I mean, because <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. What, what did he do? He yeah. he kicked his wife down the stairs and then married his eunuch. <laughs> you know, and I, I think the so you know he t- said he was going to do that episodes ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and he literally um, invokes Boris in the conversation with Kamai. I, I in the conversation with Greg, I I had the subtitles on when I was rewatching it, and it's like, oh yeah, he calls him Sporus. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> What I think is so ingenious about that scene between him and Greg is that you 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 really do think he's saying, "Hey, come with me and Shiv. We're we're going to do this thing." Absolutely. But that's not what he's saying at all. And you understand why Tom is is really extra emotional in that scene. He's kind of almost crying. Yeah. Um. And 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 I don't know if Greg realizes that because Tom's like, "I can't tell you anything more. Are you just just tell me if you're with me or not?" Um. But there's this moment of really weird catharsis there for both of them. Um. Where Tom says to Greg that they that he, that Greg, but also I think Tom can get out of the endless middle, which is such a beautiful, <sighs> sad, bleak kind of idea of where Tom sees his his life and where he is, you know, and and he had this moment to transcend it, um, and to punish his wife for treating him the way that she has, um, and it's so effective. I mean, it, it is such a great twist. Um, in a way that I think this show has had some twists before, but this one felt really operatic. Oh, absolutely. Especially because, you know, the moment happens off screen. So we're, we don't even really see the, uh, we, we don't see Tom strike a blow because it's so subtle and quiet. It's just this little tap on the shoulder, like, hey, like, look over there at what your kids are up to. Um, but then him re- reemerging into this scene when the the children are there and they've confronted Logan and the I mean that hook I mean there's so many things that happen in that final five minutes or so so many different kind of line readings and performance like notes that feel very powerful and then for him to kind of emerge from outside completely calm kind no no fangs out but. There's this like thud when you realize when everybody sort of realizes like oh it was him he was the one yeah and and look Logan had said episodes ago uh, that he'll he would remember that Tom volunteered to go to prison yeah yeah and we should not have 
or I should not have forgotten that Tom was going to cash that chip in, you know, and, and Shiv should not have forgotten that, you know, I think she, that, that that's a dog she keeps kicking to see if it'll come back. Yeah. And eventually uh, Tom said, no, I'm not going to. I mean, obviously he's trying to play this weird game now where he's like, I didn't do anything, you know, but the kids know and we know, um, or at least we heavily suspect right. um, that he's the one who kind of ratted them out basically. And I think it's thrilling. I mean, I think, I think everyone kind of deserves it. So, um. <laughs> you know, I feel like Shiv's character has been a little bit mysterious this season because she has been kind of missing a lot of stuff that's happening right in front of her face. Um, you know, I, I think she was in a lot of denial about the dynamics between her and Roman and her father, um, but still sort of kept trying to push an agenda for herself there too. Um, and it's, it's sort of surprising and, and sad, but I guess kind of indicative of her own hubris that she didn't see that this could happen with the person that she has been really shitty to all season, who was like her husband. Like, did she really think? I mean, I guess she just really thought that he was just going to absorb all of that and not and not um, and not react to it. Um, but. It has been a really long and tough season for Tom, and the only emotional relationship he has where he feels reciprocation is not with her. It's with his friend, Greg. (laughs) Which Um, is also kind of an abusive relationship. I mean, Tom does not treat him well. No, no. There's something very... There's something very intense. You know, I've I've seen speculation that that relationship is a romantic relationship. Um, I I don't know that I necessarily would go that far, but there's definitely something... um, about this bro connection that they have with each other that is like passionate um that they have they have this um there's there's something about their worldviews and their sense of selves and and how they're how they're trying to make it that they really can see each other um and one of my favorite things about the Tom and Greg relationship is that Tom, you know, Matthew McFadden's quite a tall man, but because Nicholas Braun is like so freakishly tall, um, Tom is always like looking up to Greg in these moments. And there's something like very tender about that, you know? Um, it's, uh, it's like, um, it's, it's like he's like, he sort of seems to be, you know, he's the one calling the shots in that relationship. But then there's something like protective about the way Greg is sort of like, uh, like looking down on him too. <laughs> Yeah. A gentle giant, a gentle, a gentle. Uh, smelling of milk and gold, or whatever. Um, you know, and and I think that that it, it's crucial in that in that exchange where I can't tell if Tom is deciding to do it or he already has decided to do it. But but Greg is 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 talking about this that he's going to become the king of Luxembourg because he's been <laughs> chatting to someone for two days. You know, oh um, um, Richard, it's a duchy. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, you know, and 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 all that, and 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 I think Tom sees that this is that, that Greg is being a little pathetic and getting way too ahead of himself, but also has an, an admiration for and a recognition of this kind of dreamy, big swinging. You know, just like I'm just going to go for it. You know, I'm going to make the grand gesture. I'm going to offer. I'm going to fantasize about becoming European royalty be- with this girl that I just met, or I'm going to lay myself down on the altar of Waystar Royco and go to prison for them. Like you know, these people are sort of steeped in this mythos and they they have that in common they're not quite as cynical and and sharp about this as the uh, roy kids are and that's why it's such a nice surprise that tom does you know he's 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 sort of puffed up and and sort of silly but he he has a, a a more dangerous more kind of mercenary side to him um and i think that in the portraiture of him this season like that felt fair you know it was a nice rounding of of the character it, you could see it cost him something to choose yes to go against ship like it, it wasn't he's not a heart he's not a heartless person but he is kind of ruthlessly practical um and i i think uh he spent a lot of time as we know thinking about prison toilet wine in prison um this this is a very real this is a very real stakes for him. So yeah, that Shiv never took se- treated seriously. She really Always never kind of dismissing did. his fears about it, and you know, yeah, she really, she really never quite was there for him. And you know, and then even even when it would have been, it, I think it would have cost her very little to, um, you know, when he wasn't going to prison anymore, it it, it w- couldn't maybe wouldn't have been that hard to be like Tom. I'm so glad you're not going to prison. But we didn't really get that from her either. You know, we've seen this 
this marriage has gotten to a bad place um, over the course of this season. And and honestly, Shiv, you know, as as the sort of strategic kind of uh, the sort of snake bitch that she wants to be, she should have seen it coming. Um, but that's, you know. Is what and, it is. And, yeah, the kids should have seen all of it coming in a way. I mean, there there are so many little physical clues in this episode. Um, you know, uh, Jerry and Carl and all them. You know, sort of being in Italy, but 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 away from the the Roy kids. The way Marcia kind of is moving her way through and uh, clearly up to her own thing and all that. That um, you know, I mentioned this a couple episodes ago, but I'm thinking about the play, the Lehman trilogy, which in part, I mean, it's a long, long play, um, delineates how a family company um how family drifts away from that i guess kind of house of gucci does too in a, in a weird way um but like there's no guarantee when there are so many other people involved at the high level in these companies that the family will just maintain hold a hold of that forever you know um and we see in so many instances in this episode uh that uh of of people who were sort of loyal out of requirement to the roy kids uh choosing their sides, choosing Logan, moving away from the kids, not really involving them in these discussions. Um, and we should have, or I should have like seen that, of course, Tom is one of those people too, even though he's married to Shiv. Uh, and so eventually the great sort of hive mind protectionist thing about the company will win out over any loyalty to the family. Something I um, I read yesterday on uh, it was a tweet from Tom Lay, which I thought was like really intelligent on this topic is that like whatever winning means in the succession universe is also like arbitrarily changing at the whim of Logan. Right. I think right. we've spent so much of this show being like, you can't lose control of the company. What are we going to do if we lose control of the company? And then over the course of like two episodes in this in this season, it's Logan's sort of decided he doesn't care anymore if he loses control of the company. And um, I think there, I, I think that's just sort of goes to show how what a difficult situation these kids are in, where they keep trying to win in this in this game with their father, kind of playing by her their his rules, but his rules will change whenever he wants them to, and. They don't seem to realize how uh, how the deck is so stacked against them when they are in that situation. Yeah, yeah. But people like Jerry do, you know? Right. And that sort of cold thing to Roman about, you know, how does it serve my interests, you know? Uh, and she's obviously, like, there's a, a little bit of personal punishment in there for the dick pics and whatnot. But, like, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think the kids have always thought they were savvier than they were. Um, and in this episode... Kendall kind of gets to the realization first of like, I don't know, I give up. Like I you know, he's so and then, you know, then he rallies and tries to stop it, but but it's it's all too late. Um It's very sad. You know, actually while we're speaking of Kendall again, um I wanted to bring up the the what I believe the title is referencing of this episode. All the bells say. Yeah, it was Uh, just I was just looking it up. It's from a poem. Yeah, it's a John Berryman poem um, mm-hmm. that is about, I think, like, kind of, it's, you know, a bit abstract, but it's about um, depression and the idea that this, some, that a man has that he killed someone. Um, you know, it, it the second verse is, um, and there is another thing he has in his mind, like a grave Sienese face, a thousand years, would fail to blur the still profiled reproach of, ghastly, with open eyes, he attends, blind, all the bells say, too late, this is not for tears, thinking. But never did Henry, as he thought he did, end anyone and hacks her body up and hide the pieces where they may be found. He knows he went over everyone and nobody's missing. Often he reckons in the dawn them up. Nobody is ever missing. Um, Hmm. Which, you know, uh, Armstrong likes to reference literature and, you know, poetry and all that. And I think this one is is apt in that it seems to be uh, about um, Kendall thinking he killed someone, but it's you know, and and he did sort of, but not in the way he thinks he did, and and depression and all that. But um, there's a lot of talk of killing in in this episode. Where are we? Are we okay with killing Dad? You know, as they're in the van heading to stop this thing, um, and then in the end, Tom kind of drives the knife in. So uh, some of that sort of murderous um, guilt or or association has passed off of Kendall and onto other people. Yeah, I mean, Tom. Tom is 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 won the kiss from Daddy Roy. I mean, the Roy children are are kind of out of contention now. Um, Tom Tom's the best boy. Um, 
And yeah, I, uh, I, I, I mean, all the bells say too late is such a, um, kind of spine shivering sentence, um, for these yeah. kids. And it's like, I guess it's kind of good that they found each other, but you know, at the end of the, um, there's like a little inside the episode thing at the end of, uh, at the end of each episode. And in this one, um, the Jesse Armstrong says something funny about the the siblings being unified. You know, you could sort of see it as as like growth or like that they're coming together. And he says, "Yeah, I'm on the fence about human beings." Yeah. <laughs> and and what he was sort of elaborating was that he thinks maybe they're growing, but maybe they're just turning towards each other to sort of fulfill the same kind of um, needs that they've had all the time. Like maybe this isn't growth. This is just a new tactic. Um, and, and what he was saying, you know, he just doesn't, he's just not convinced people change that much. And that, that is like a, a, I don't know, it's, you know, so much of literature, narrative literature, uh, any sort of narrative convention is like, oh, well, people go through a dramatic arc. They start in one place and they end in another place. Um, and here's the showrunner of Succession saying like, I don't know, maybe they just go in circles. Um, and with this sort of, this, this, uh, this poem about regret kind of, um, tight you know as the title of the episode it just sort of seems to me a little bit like these these children sort of seeing that they they ha- they are like lost they have put their eggs in the wrong basket for a long time um and now maybe they turn have turned to each other but they also maybe only have each other right now yeah i mean the the, the whole show all three seasons uh have been this undulation between the kids being toward the center of power away from it logan waxing and waning but always in control for the most part and and yeah i think that they are stuck in a kind of loop you know and and there had been a sort of sinister hope i suppose that like you know this is a fictional character we're talking about like had kendall died that is release from this that is freedom from this i mean it's 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 a pretty grim way to look at it but it's true Mm -hmm. and while there is something super cathartic because it's such a great performance from jeremy strong and everyone else involved and it's written so well and shot so well uh, about Kendall's teary confession and his his cold but in this moment slightly kind siblings lifting him up and saying oh no it's okay you're okay um that is cathartic but it's also like well now he's just right back in it you know mm-hmm. like he was almost out in in some dramatic way uh but he's stuck and now has to with his siblings um, turn to the future and wonder what's going to happen, you know. And I kind of wonder what's going to happen. I, I wonder where the show goes from here. I mean, how out are these kids really? Yeah, that that is a question I have too. I mean, and and I think, you know, it it seems like they would have su- like some financial resources at their disposal. Oh, I think they're um, fine. In that it regard, sort of yeah. it sort of seems like they would be fine. Um, but it is, I think, a major test for just because it's going to be completely different like they're not going to have a family company you know if if all goes well with this acquisition um for gojo like they're they're not going to have they're they're just going to be people that have to define themselves in some other way separate from that um and it's that's that's not something they've just ever had to do and 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 in their defense they were literally raised to, to be these people they were raised to be these scions of privilege um but it's very interesting to think about them being cut loose. And in a way, as as shitty as Logan is all the time, I think it's kind of a mercy, too, like to give them a chance to like have identities separate from him. And Logan says it's an opportunity, you yeah. know, and and it's a cold thing to say to your kids, I guess. But it's also sort of true. I think about, you know, um, Bill and Melinda Gates telling their kids we're only going to give you $10 million or whatever. The, uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, the rest of the billions are not going to go to you. Like, right. they're still going to be rich, but there's something like you know, go make a life for yourself sort of sentiment. It's a it's a kind of blinkered one because most people don't get to just strike out on their own with millions of dollars <laughs> that were given to them. But um, yeah, there is something almost weirdly of a mercy there. I, I also wonder about what a season four might look like uh, is whether Matson is going to be a big part. I, right. I really grew on that character and that performance, especially in this episode. As someone who seems to be this kind of loner weirdo who, you know, is kind of disaffected and all that. But in in the scene with Logan at the villa, he gets Logan, Mm -hmm. you know, and can talk to him in a way that his kids really can't because Matson as this aloof, 
you know, zillionaire titan of industry has a degree of Logan's respect that those kids will never have. And I'm curious to see if Matson will will continue to see that relationship develop uh, in season four. I mean, I have to say, I, I agree with you about Matson, who is a character that really grew on me. And I, I think one of the things that always gets me about Succession, because um, I remember feeling this way at the season two finale as well, there's so much that comes up in every season. Um, but the finale often, uh, the, the season finale seemed to often end up emphasizing that these are really uh, stories about people's very minute kind of internal shifts uh, towards and away from each other, or maybe towards and away from themselves. All of this other collateral damage, be it, you know, the cruise ship scandal or a merger or uh, the different family uh, seats on the board, um, it it's almost it's almost irrelevant. I mean, I was sort of surprised how many things in this uh, in this finale just don't end up being tied off in any way. I mean, the whole thing, even even the sort of like joke premise that again might be pure conspiracy about Logan potentially uh, trying to have a baby with Carrie. Um, and whether or not Martian knows anything about it, and we see them on screen for one second. And by the way, in that moment where Hyam uh, Abbas and, and Zoe Winters are on the screen together for a second, I sort of realized that Zoe Winters looks like a younger version of Hyam Abbas. This like Logan has a type sort of thing is kind of like seeded into this. And I was just like, wait, what about this whole thing? Are we going to get any more information about this until season four? And the answer is no. Like that is all just stuff you're going to. I mean, Marsha walks away from the wedding, like wandering away with her hat on in the middle of the episode. And that is it. That is all we yeah. know about that story. Um, I mean, and the same thing is true with Jerry. You know, we we saw her have this incredible, you know, reaction in the last episode to Shiv and Shiv kind of putting pressure on her about like an HR report and whether or not she was inviting this behavior from Roman. And it sort of seems as if, you know, Jerry's just like shut down and is in hibernation for the next for whatever happens next. Um, yeah, a lot of things like the show just kind of is like, yeah, we're not going to resolve this because we don't not maybe they don't know. But it's also like it's not actually the important thing, which is right. a, a little discombobulating, but sort of interesting too, surprising. I, I saw someone on Twitter last night lamenting um, the forgotten plot line about the this horrible arch conservative presidential candidate that they have thrown their weight behind and i'm just like i don't think that that's forgotten no you know because the murder from season one which i kind of assumed was like a friday night light season two like eh, we'll just forget that that thing happened but no this show did not forget it and uh it's really it's it's writing that remembers itself and i i can't imagine that we spent a whole week or a whole episode of this season um at this political cabal convention um to have that just go unremarked upon again I think that that'll come rearing back in season four. At least I would I would hope so. Like something we know is that it goes by sort of months at a time, like each each season. So where it feels like years for us, but it's been a shorter timeline, a more compressed timeline on the show. But I I still do feel uh I I, st- I still feel like I have so many questions. Um, and I think uh I I have I can't imagine the show has forgotten. I think what's sort of it's sort of interesting to think about how much of what season four will be is going to be dependent on these these performer schedules, right? Not the regular cast, but I mean like Justin Kirk's schedule or Alexander Skarsgård's schedule or whatever. Like the the shape of the season could really depend on who's available to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely need some closure on the sexual tension between. <laughs> Roman and his chosen politician. Yeah, come on, guys. What was that? Where was it going? I mean, closure on Roman's sexual life in general would be very interesting because there was a lot of discussion about it in the last episode or two. And then Logan just says, like, figure it out and don't involve me. (laughs) A a lot of harsh discussion, especially considering Roman has in previous seasons made repeated allusions to the fact that he was molested or otherwise abused as a child. Yes. Yeah. You know, and they're yeah. just like, well, fix it. Like, what are you, some kind of freak? Like, so, you know, and it's yeah. just like, or a sicko, you know, it, 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 um, I, that, that's been a long piece of portraiture that maybe Armstrong doesn't have any intention of ever quite clarifying. And because those things can be quite hard to clarify. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm curious about where that's all headed, especially now that whatever this playful thing or semi, I don't know, how to, kind of describe it whatever he had with jerry 
mm-hmm. uh, that seems to have chilled considerably in this episode. So I'm wondering where Roman turns right. now. OTP ended, friendship over. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just uh, call out two things that I thought were interesting about the process of this episode. Um, the first is that apparently Jeremy Strong did nine takes uh, for the uh, the scene where he um, confesses about the, the caterer's death to his siblings. Um, and he was, uh, this, this is from the Michael Shulman, the same writer who did the profile, he tweeted it. Um, they had built uh, Jeremy Strong like a pillar to sort of sit on, and he kept trying to do these takes on this pillar, and it wasn't working. And then finally, he sat down on the gravel um, itself. And if you were me, I mean, I spent the whole that whole scene going, oh, like, dust off your pants. There's stuff on your, on your pants now. Um, but apparently, I mean, that he said that that was really his connection to that moment um, and a very emotional scene. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, and then the director, Mark Milad, said in the um, in the little featurette that they found the ending of the episode by like sort of organically when they when they had Tom come in they realized that they needed to end on Shiv <laughs> realizing what Tom had done but kind of continuing to power through the moment um and that final shot of this episode where her eyes were like practically glittering uh with rage as she's staring kind of off screen um i thought was really striking too uh, very, very revealing. And I think, you know, this was a season where they had, they were hampered by COVID, right? They were hampered by all of these COVID protocols and bubbles and locations and who could be on set. And I think, honestly, you know, I've I've heard criticisms about about the feel of the season as a result. But for me, what really works is that this intense emphasis, this claustrophobic emphasis on the internal uh, emotional dynamics of this family end up really popping, I think, when you yeah. when you when you sort of draw in your circle so that we're really just focusing on the family. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the the criticism that I saw most commonly was that um, and it's one that I had uh, at, at some points throughout the season that like, because there's sort of a single story in this season that people were missing the digressions and the, the you know sort of side journeys for characters that um you know all they would happen but then immediately snap back into the central narrative of who takes control of the board and all that stuff but and yes in that sense the show did feel a little narrower than it uh, has in the previous two seasons but it was building towards something really grand and i i love that in this episode armstrong really took the cork out and like there's so much poetry and illusion in this episode it, it feels i mean it's trite to say at this point but it does feel shakespearean it feels uh, chekhovian at times it feels like so much high drama uh and pathetic comedy and 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 uh i i think the season ultimately did earn it and uh it retroactively now i appreciate a lot of what uh what ground was being laid um, by earlier episodes that were entertaining, but sometimes felt a little bit like um, small, I guess, and because it was leading to something big. Yeah, absolutely. You're like, why did we go through all these granular shifts? Oh, <laughs> right. Because, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it, and, it's... You know, and Shiv glaring with glistening with rage and all that, and and but kind of going along with Tom's affections. It's like that could be an indicator that like she's not going to just blow up and that it's she's done with Tom forever. She might just have to make another slight shift. And and she's like, now Tom is sort of in the driver's seat. And, you know, I, I think that I, at the end of each of these seasons, I have this thought that like, okay, now maybe the kids are going to com- be complete. This world's going to be completely different in this, in the season premiere next year. Um, I don't know how different it's going to be um, from our perspective, though it's already significantly different for those characters. Um, I, I have a question for you, which is, um, if you were making your little ballot of the performances you want the Emmys to take attention, to pay attention to, I mean, obviously we all, they're all good, but is there, is there like one you're like, this is the one, this is the one I want to see honored? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think obviously Jeremy Strong is doing something remarkable in this season his car he has the most erratic arc to play uh in some senses so yeah him for sure but i i would hope that um sarah snook gets recognized for shiv i think that that has been a really difficult character to maneuver this season yeah. um and uh as the sort of often the lone woman in the room and 
uh, I, I think she's had to to do a lot, and and she's done it quite well. I also, I'm I'm always going to throw it behind. I think Alan Ruck is so good as Connor. It's a it's a more subtle sort of. He he has less to work with maybe uh, than the other kids do, but I think he's just such a good. Uh, he just offers such a good depiction of that exact kind of man who are many times actually do win political office in this country. I like to see him as just continuity from his Cameron from Ferris Bueller. I think there's a way in which it kind of works. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think he's great. Um, But I'm so glad because you also said all I agree with you on those performances. And yet, if I were to talk about performances for this season, I feel like Kieran Culkin has just astonished me with what he brings to these moments sometime. Um, I, I think, uh, especially in this, uh, in the last, uh, the confrontations with Brian Cox in this, in this scene. Um, and I mean, sorry, in this episode where like, I felt, I felt like, uh, we, we've been on board with Roman through all of his sort of like more despicable kind of turns and his like weird, like vulnerabilities where he says his tummy hurts before talking to the president and stuff. And, um, and yet in, in, and then in these scenes, he's just so, um, he's so vulnerable and so like, not exactly wounded, but oh my God, when he tells he tells his father, like, I'm bringing you love. Like, what, what about fucking love? Um, what, like, what an incredible thing for the character to say. What an incredibly vulnerable thing to say. And I really think his delivery was just astonishing. Like, it's just, it's like his whole, he's putting his whole body in, in the line of his father's rage. Um, really worked for me. And yeah. then, man, Matthew McFadden, um, you know, longtime fan, um, obviously, uh, Mr. For his, his role as Mr. Darcy, uh, did not go unnoticed by a teenage Sonia at the time. Um, so obviously I'm a big fan of his just generally, but it is, it's been amazing watching him kind of take on, um, more and more like dramatic poignancy, you know, as the as the show has gone on. He he he's been a punchline so many times in this show. He's done he's he's been the sort of outlet for for silliness, you know, can't make an tomlet without breaking a few Gregs and all of that. And then like th- just a few things shift in the stakes and in the story. And it's like he's uh he's like got this operatic uh weight to him like walking down even man in the end of this episode when he walks into the room and he's walking in shadow right his uh he's walking from the shadow of the courtyard into the into the well-lit room and it's just like oh my god he's he's carrying all of the all of the episodes resonance like on his shoulders and doing it so well um i i so i i can really see that uh being like something that's honored by the academy too yeah, yeah, he's incredible and and you know, walking into that room, I mean the devil in a white suit, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or cream suit, um and he calls himself the devil earlier in the episode or maybe he's referring to Logan, I don't know, but uh, there's a devil somewhere um and it might be Tom and yeah, it's such a great payoff for a you know, now three season long incredible performance. I guess I don't know if there's more to say about the episode. Yeah, I I mean, I'm sorry if we were a bit scattered. It's just there was so much to talk about. And we kind of wanted to jump to the end because it was so exciting. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think we've, I've said all I can. I, I, I remain eager to see what they do next. But I, I hope that they all take a nice break. This seems exhausting <laughs> to, 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 to pull off in every facet. Um, thinking about those locations, like the, the shot in this episode of the helicopter going over the the cliff with the cross on it, you know, and down across the lake. I mean, this is really high production luck stuff. And um, I, I want them to wait as long as they need to, to do, deliver another season of that and not rush anything. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, until, until we all meet again for succession season four, where can we find you, Richard? I have so many administrative duties to attend to in Luxembourg. I've really been relaxed on that as we've done this podcast. So I have to get on a flight back to Luxembourg City. I think. 
Uh, and uh, while I'm on the plane, I'll be tweeting from Rylaz and writing at vf.com. Sonia, people, where can people find you until we do another Still Watching season? We don't know what that's going to be. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I guess I'll be burnishing my claim to like the defunct throne of Italy. Um, I, I don't, you know, whenever Italy decides to go monarchist again, um, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to make sure all my paperwork is in order. Um, I will I will not be writing at VF.com anymore, but you will be able to find me at Sonia Soraya on Twitter. And hopefully I'll be back to do more podcasts in the future. Yes. And I should mention briefly, um, well, A, Sonia, we're sad to see you go on the VF.com side of things, but we know you're off to great things. And yes, hopefully we will have your voice back on this podcast and in other forms. Uh, there will be one one-off episode, I think next week, uh, about And Just Like That, the HBO Max revival sort of of sex in the city the continuation of that saga it'll be myself and a couple other colleagues at uh, tbd but um yeah until then um you can always email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com go to join subtext.com slash still watching to sign up for the text service that we use uh yeah and we'll see you next time uh, as ever this episode was produced and edited by dave gonzalez Thank you guys so much for joining us on the wild ride that was succession season three and we're looking forward to coming back for more I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.